build the best product. I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climbing. Cause no unnecessary harm. Of organic cotton and recycled polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. To give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. Welcome back to Live from Five Point, our annual Live Dirtbag Diaries from Steve's Guitars in downtown Carbondale, Colorado. With four incredible guests, a packed house, and New Belgium serving up refreshments, we were so stoked to be able to do this again. Honestly, it's one of the favorite things I do all year. It kind of like recharges my batteries. A big thank you to Patagonia, New Belgium, and the crew from Five Point who helped make this happen. If you missed the last episode, we talked with snowboarder Kevin Pierce, big mountain skier Chris Davenport. Today you'll hear stories from James Walsh about the odyssey of being a filmmaker and Kyle Dempster about how an alpinist becomes a bicyclist with a little help from his dad. We've only lightly edited these pieces so that they maintain the feel of the event. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll join us next year. Seriously. I'm Fitzko Hall. Welcome to the Five Point Film Festival. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Every year in our Live from Five Point event, we try to include people that are in front of the lens and then also people that are behind the camera. It gives a perspective of both sides of the creative process, whether it's figuring the trips out or figuring out how to convey the story of these incredible journeys. Today we have James Walsh, a filmmaker from South Africa who's interested in stories that have an African backdrop or, or African protagonist. I think he may be cursed. I really hope not because his first two films are excellent and they have a really different perspective on mountain biking and the surrounding culture. But like climbing big walls or skiing intimidating lines, the creative process can be such a frustrating journey where you have to be doggedly determined to succeed. James starts off by talking about his first film, an epic tale. We, we got asked to make a film on uh, the, the kind of tour de France of mountain biking happens in South Africa. And uh, we are a big mountain biking nation. We don't have much snow, so <laughs> we have to rely on uh, summer, summer sports. And uh, this team asked us to, whether we'd be interested in following them in their quest to win this kind of Tour de France of mountain biking. And it's, it's hosted in South Africa, and it's never been won by a South African team. As with all documentaries, there's, there's a large element you can't control. So during the... The events, the eight-day events, one of the, it's a two-man team. One of the protagonists broke his collarbone. So going from a, a six-month shoot, we ended up shooting for 13 months. It was a story that we had to really craft in the edit suite because I never ended up winning anything. But it became this, this year in this life of this team and them just trying to be world-class. And I think it's that trying element that resonated with us. And so we just wanted to showcase the highs and lows and the behind-the-scenes and what it takes to get to that level. And uh, it's such a personal journey you go through. Well, you put so much emotion, physical, mental energy into a project, it kind of drains you. It takes everything out of you. And it ends up being such a personal representation of what you feel or what you think or what you interpret. And it, it's, you're almost a little bit naked when it gets up on the screen. So um, to, to have a positive response is great. 
Um, and then we started, I mean, we started moved on to other projects. And three, three days before, I was meant to fly to Kenya and Rwanda for an, uh, an expert documentary. Um, one of the protagonists uh, gave me a phone call, or uh, rang my doorbell. He said, I've tested positive. And uh, I was obviously incredibly frustrated and um, you, you represent these people's lives and, and you put everything into it. So you expect a two-way street in terms of trust and, and you get that. Uh, I got it back. And as a result, you, you develop a friendship and, and you get close to the subject matter. And maybe it, it uh, hinders your objectivity. Or, and so I, first I had to be there as a friend before I could be there as a filmmaker. So it was like just talking to him about it and kind of piecing it together and just seeing him shaking and seeing him um, kind of fall to pieces was it kind of meant that i just put my own personal <laughs> thoughts at the at that time to the pushed it to the back of my head and uh my first kind of feature doc it was quite a rude introduction to, <laughs> to filmmaking did it pretty much kill the kill the film i mean obviously it had premiered already but but i mean that the, the because yeah, the, we had actually in negotiations with the North American distributor to take it to international um, geographies. So, yeah, <laughs> killed the film. We lost the film. Yeah. What like so that happened, and you just I mean you just chalked that one up to bad luck or what? What happened next? Well, there's a lot of self uh, introspection because you're a filmmaker and you're putting these people on a pedestal. There's an integrity that you have to abide to and you have to be as objective as possible. And so you start to question yourself and you start to question, well, should I have known or, or, or should I have been a better filmmaker or should I have a stronger journalist instinct? Thank, thank goodness I got on a plane three days later and flew to Nairobi and we started filming a project which followed the Kenyan national cycling team and when you go up to that part of Africa, the imagery is so beautiful. And, and the story, there's no cycling, road cycling or pro-cycling culture in that neck of the woods. And, and you see the freshness and the honesty. And it was kind of my redemption. Maybe it's like, you can't help but be inspired by them. It's almost like the stories subtly hook them, hook into you. And, and you, uh, you, have no, uh, you, you have no choice but to, to try and tell them. The, the film that you're going to be showing at Five Point tomorrow, Kunye, um, it has a it has a pretty sad story. Um, yeah, so Kunya is a Zulu word which means one, um, and it follows the single speed world champs, a mountain biking event. But the the community is a very strong community, so I kind of wanted to play on on the word one and one in terms of community. We are all one, etc. There's only one lap, and you you come back to it. And was there there was pros competing but there were people from all over the world and there's a very strong spirit in this community it's kind of like the woodstock of mountain biking um and there's only one rule in the single speed world champs is that if you win the race you've got to get a tattoo <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, for, for the guys and girls and um it never been hosted in africa before <clears throat> our rock star of mountain biking is a guy called barry stander and um he went to the Olympics, he's been world under 23 champion, he races for Specialized, and he, he came along and he won the race. And it was interesting to see his freshness and his take on this event where it was less corporate and commercial, and his enthusiasm was shared with everyone. Like he was kind of looking at the event like the rest of us were, where we were just riding for the, for the love of it. 
but in January this year, um, Barry was tragically killed in, in, a, in an accident. So on a road bike, doing lots of mileage, and he was like literally a couple of k's from home, and he got hit by a taxi, a minibus taxi, and um, was killed almost instantly. And at that stage, we we were actually in the edit suite cutting that story for Cunha, and I didn't really know what to do with the edit because I didn't want to hijack the other, the rest of the participation in the event from all these people who come all over, from all over the world in the spirit with it it being a tribute piece bury and to his memory and I was trying to find this balance between representing the ethos of the event and the story and also paying tribute to this guy who got off his high horses and came and raced with the masses and and got a tattoo I mean you, um, it is it's interesting as a filmmaker all these interesting things that get thrown at you and and there's no training for it there's no like you just kind of you, you don't know how you get through it and um, and, and I suppose that's what makes the stories fantastic, and that's what makes it so honest and engaging. And uh, I just hope that <laughs> the, the, the arc of our, our production company doesn't keep finding these tragic stories or <laughs> the tragedy. We can, we can put it down for a second. So you got a, a, new, a new film that has had its own hurdles, but again, at its root is this incredible story. The basic idea behind it is that there, there was a, a Singapore businessman who watched the Singapore Marathon and watched the Kenyans run across the uh, finish line and you know win the race and he thought to himself why couldn't if the Kenyans are so good at running why couldn't they go win the Tour de France like why can't we go and see if we can build a team of Kenyan riders to go dominate the endurance world and so all of a sudden you sort of like ended up with this story in your lap of this build of this team from scratch Say the word for me, sorry. Bicycle. Bicycle, sorry. Um, yeah, just will you give me a little bit of background on the story and, and just talk about that and where it's at? So, at the Single Speed Worlds when we were filming, the Kenyan national cycling coach um, came and participated and he said, uh, There's an, we, This is what we do in Kenya, maybe you should come and film. And I didn't know anything about the cycling culture outside of South Africa. I mean, was it strong? Was it weak? Was Who were the stars? What was going on? What was the culture? And I thought, Geez, well, this. Can Kenyans translate their marathon running success into road cycling success would be a great lens into showcasing or, or what's going on in Africa. And I didn't manage to raise any finance to get there, and, and the Kenyan team themselves have no money. Um, so it just loaded up the credit cards and packed the gear and kind of went off on an adventure. And the imagery was amazing, and the stories were great. And um, the first black African across the finish line, the overall individual GC, they finished third on the podium was a Kenyan athlete. And so this team's gone from nothing to producing a top cyclist. And then I discovered that there's racing in Eritrea, Ethiopia, Morocco, Algeria. Uh, Rwanda's got a, a great team. The bicycle culture there, they don't have any road racing culture, but they've got this, um, they use bikes to commute. And so you've got like, and that's how, how Nick, the Singaporean, I mean, he knows nothing about cycling. And, um, and the way he selected the team was you'd go down to the town and you'd see the guys who could do two loads of bananas a day or charcoal or potatoes or just bizarre. I mean, but they had 150 kilograms loaded up on the back of these bicycles that are single speed old, um, they call them black mummers. That's like an old English design bicycle made in China. And, in, and then there's, they've got border borders, which are, are uh, uh, human taxis. So 
And so Nick is quite a big guy, and he'd sit on the back and he'd secretly time these guys. And uh, so he, he had these enigmatic ways of, of piecing together a team, and he's got like about 12 or 14 guys in the camp for Kenyan athletes. It's an incredible opportunity to try and better themselves and, and earn an income. So there's great imagery and great stories. So we've just, we've just finished the edit on that, and we've actually got a Kickstarter campaign going, so support that. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's just such a great lens into an interesting part of the world without it being, hopefully, although I'm a white African, an African telling an African story, and I think there's so many great stories from around the world, and all of us are just looking for, we're so independent, but we also want a sense of community. Um, and to be here in a place like this, where everyone's so approachable and open and honest and sharing and, and stoked, it makes you want to go out and make those projects again and, and do those love projects as opposed to doing kind of adverts or, or doing more commercial work and thankfully there's so many stories that are untold in the genre um, and we've got such beautiful backdrops against which to tell these stories um, we've just got to crack how we monetize the content <laughs> everyone james was from a big round of thank you so much final guest is alpinist Kyle Dempster, and I was really excited about sitting down with Kyle because we've been getting to know Kyle really well over the last year and a half. From the moment I heard about Kyle's solo climbing slash bike trip through Kyrgyzstan, I thought, this is a story that needs to be shared. It was just such a different way, and Kyle was such an engaging, unique person. We worked with Kyle for over a year to create this movie called The Road from Caracol which premiered at Five Point. I was thrilled by it. It was a little nerve-wracking. It went right down to the wire. Just before the premiere, Kyle said he would sit down with us and do the live diaries. We wanted to share a bit about the origins of this trip, about how a trip evolves in the moment, and how his dad helped an alpinist take a bike trip. It's pretty cool. Kyle picks it up from here. See, I, I am an alpine climber, and that is what I love to do. However, um, through the years, I've enjoyed kind of taking some different trips. Instead of taking the typical alpine climbing approach of like flying somewhere, you know, getting in a bus or a jeep and driving out to this range and then just being there for the whole time, I uh, had this idea of trying to do this self-supported sort of bicycle, lightweight climbing trip. And so I took uh, a very minimal amount of climbing gear and, and a bicycle. Um, that I bought off Craigslist for like a hundred bucks <laughs> and uh, and spent like six weeks just riding around the country and and uh, climbing whatever looked cool and uh, I had a couple of ideas of, of different ranges that I specifically wanted to make it to and some of those I made it to and some are, are still waiting for me to go check out. Had you ever bike toured before? I mean like it seems like the kind of thing that it could lead to disaster. I don't. I don't know. That that's too harsh of a word, but no, that's that's definitely accurate. I had never bike toured before, and um, I didn't. Other than changing a flat tire, which I could probably figure out, 
um, up until that point, I, I really didn't even know how to maintain a bicycle. So that was a, that was another component. I mean, I can I can pack for a three month alpine climbing trip in like two hours. You know, like that's not a problem. And with a bicycle, it was it was taking a new toy and, and going on a big adventure. So uh, that was a really enjoyable uh, learning process of the whole thing. Where did the idea from for the bike come from? The quick answer there is is simplicity and um, and again a, a different mode of travel. Um, so the bike, it really, really slows you down. So I wanted to go to Kyrgyzstan and explore uh, this, this new country, connect with its people as well as I could, and, um, and, and go slowly. <clears throat> but the second part of that, uh, second part of the question, is, is my father. And he, <laughs> I wish he were here. Um, but he's shy and does not like talking about his life. My, my dad. He did own a car at one point in his life, but he only owned it for about six weeks and sold it. He didn't, he didn't like it. He thought it was too expensive. And he lives his life on a, on a bicycle. And um, I, I live with him in Salt Lake City. And um, in the winter times, uh, you know, in February, he's, he's you know, up at like 4.30 in the morning, getting ready to ride, and it's like, you know, Zero degrees Fahrenheit, and it just snowed like a foot and a half, and he's putting on his gear to go ride 15 miles to work. And um, in the summer times, he gets on his bicycle, and for fun, this guy can ride like 200 miles. In fact, he's out here this weekend, and instead of driving home with us to Salt Lake, he's going to ride his bike. Home. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, he's just, he's a really impressive, simple, shy man who has lived his life on a bike. So I wanted, um, this Kyrgyzstan trip was, was a kind of a way to connect with him a little bit. How, so if your dad never owned a car, how did you guys get around as a kid? Like, were you riding with your dad or like what? I spent a lot, a lot of time as a child growing up in a burly trailer. And um, yeah, I remember getting tugged to elementary school every single day in that thing with, with my sister squished in the back and, and my dad charging to, to elementary school because he did not want to fire up that car. There was no way he was going to drive it. So yeah, and on the weekends it was like load up the Burley trailer and bam, we're gone for um, you know, a two or three day ride, and most of the time I would just sleep in the back of the burly trailer. <laughs> um, you have a great story from like some of your, you've got some great stories from your adventures with your dad as a kid. Um, how dedicated, I mean, like, did, can, you, can you tell a story about falling asleep? So, out on, on some ride, no idea where we were. Um, my parents were on their tandem, and I'm in the burly trailer. Typical situation, I'm sleeping in the back, and um, my mom is going, Tom, we need to pull over, you know, and we need to check on Kyle and make sure he's okay. I haven't, I haven't heard him say anything in the last several hours. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> my dad's like, no, he's fine, don't worry about it, so let's just keep going. And I don't know, eventually, eventually they stop, and uh, I had fallen asleep on the side of the, 
of the Burley trailer and my helmet had kind of like slid up the side and the tire had just been rubbing against the side, <laughs> rubbing against the side of my head and had blood running down the face. I just slept through the whole thing. <laughs> and then, I, yeah, I think Burley trailers have evolved quite a bit. I would think that that safety mechanism is in place now. <laughs> And then I remember another good story. Once I, you know, once I got my first like six-speed bike, you know, that opened up a whole, whole new world for my dad. Because then he got to, you know, I actually got to ride. Then I remember going up this hill in, near the Bay Area, just really struggling with it. And uh, my dad has this fascination of picking things up off the side of the road, like he. And he comes home with some really amazing things. I mean, the amount of change that he's collected through the years is, is impressive. But like tools, I mean, he, I, on this ride he had found a couple of bungee cords. And I was really struggling to go up this hill, you know, as like a whatever six-year-old or something. And so he took these bungee cords and um, let's see, strapped them to the the rear of his bike and then to the front handlebars on mine and was like all right let's do this and you could picture what happened but you know he would accelerate and i would slow down and then like bam slingshot <laughs> and it, was, it was just yeah that over and over again and, yeah good stuff good times yeah. um, obviously you had to plan this trip together and you know he helped you kind of like put this bike together and, and um, what you know what kind of bicycling was this like did your dad prepare you for what you'd see and like what you would experience I don't think either of us could have prepared um, myself for, for some of the roads that I ended up traveling on um, I, I did a lot of my research as I do for alpine climbs on Google Earth and um, I had you know zoomed into these to parts of the country where there were, were ranges that I wanted to go explore from like a climbing perspective. And I read trip reports of like how climbers had had taken jeeps to get out to these places. They were all sort of these like out and back trips, you know. So like you had to start from a main town and like drive up to this pass and then descend down and go check out this one zone. And then if you wanted to go to another place, you had to like backtrack and go all the way around. And when I zoomed in on Google Earth, I was like, no, no, no. There's, you know, there's like a network of roads there that connect these, these dots, you know? And I, I wanted to connect the dots. And basically these, again, roads that I found were, they were cool. They were just these ancient skeletons of, of a road and sometimes I would ride on this like overgrown grassy you know just through like handlebar high grass and eventually get to this like old ab abandoned Soviet mining camp and it looked like they had just been like cool we're done <laughs> like <laughs> let's just leave all this shit here and <laughs> so it, I mean that was cool like <laughs> yeah 
when you got back home and you shared all these stories um, from from road, because I mean, it really did end up becoming more of a bike trip than a climbing trip. I mean, sure. in all honesty, it's like you just got more than you bargained for on that um, in terms of, of of how hard the travel was. Um, was your dad jealous of that trip at all? <laughs> if he was, he certainly never admitted to it. And I've so I, I've tried. I would. I mean, it would be a dream to to go to Asia with him sometime and, and pedal some bikes in some crazy places. But um, at the same time, you know, part of the the simplicity of the bicycle and, and why he is drawn to the bike as like a, a way of life. Um, he doesn't want to spend the fossil fuel to get to Asia. And I like, I mean, <laughs> beyond respect for that. Like he, it's amazing what he does in his spare time entirely by bicycle. Like he's, he's the guy that you see out in his yellow spandex jersey on the side of the road picking up aluminum cans and like putting it in the burly trailer, <laughs> bringing it home and recycling it, and you know, humorously, he says, "Like, I'm getting paid to ride my bike. Like, what could be better?" <laughs> so, um, <laughs> respect, like that's rad. <laughs> but it was, we both, you know, share this connection to the bicycle, and, and that trip to Kyrgyzstan brought us closer. And I'll certainly in the future pose again, like, you know, we should go ride through Pakistan or across the Pamir Highway in Tajikistan. Or there's plenty of roadways out there that would be pretty rad. And there's probably aluminum cans out there too. <laughs> awesome. Um, cool. Everyone, Kyle Dempster, please give him a big round. Road from Caracol will be released online towards the end of June. I'm very excited. This film, it was hard to make, but the character, Kyle, he's just incredible. If you're interested in finding out any more about any of the films we've been worked on or highlighted in the last two episodes, check out our website, dirtbagdiaries.com, for links, info, and a few photos from the event. Thanks again to James, Kyle, Chris, and Kevin for taking the time to join us on stage. Thanks to Patagonia for creating a place to gather around and hear stories, whether it's over a campfire, over radio waves or in a darkened theater. Sharing stories is at the heart of our community. It's what powers us. We are so honored to be able to tell some of them. Thanks for supporting creative endeavors like the Diaries and Five Point. Thanks to Sean, Jeff, and Annie of New Belgium. Thanks to Steve's Guitars for opening up his awesome shop. Such an awesome place. And a big shout out to Julie, Sarah, and Jake from Five Point. This is the reason we gather together as a community to make this event happen. You guys pour your hearts into Five Point and it shows. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, makers of a better bike rack. See their full lineup at kuatracks.com. And support also comes from you, the listeners. We've had an incredible number of donations in the last two months, and we'd love to see it keep going. We are going to be able to do some incredible things. Thank you so much for your continued support, whether it's by listening or by donating. Thank you. You can find out how to donate on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today by our friend Ken Christensen and the New Amsterdams, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. 
We hope you can make it out to Carbondale in 2014 for the event and the film festival. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. It's all right.